thought about how important to us appearance of people is, and how we use that to recognize people. See somebody in military uniform, you know they're in the military. You go to the hospital and they've got a nurse's uniform on them, the badge and all, you're pretty sure they might be a nurse. And, um, policemen and all of that. And, um, according to my daughter, if you go to Penny's, they even have a special section for teachers, uh, women's teachers. You know, she said, I don't want those. Those are teacher clothes. You, know? <laughs> uh, you can recognize the coaches versus the classroom teachers a lot of times just, just by the dress. But let, let me ask you something. And, and I want you to think, do we judge people based on appearance? And we like to say, no, we don't. Uh, several years ago, I was at a meeting in Austin at a pretty nice hotel and pretty high up on the floors. And I got into it, and there was a man going down, and the man was already on the elevator. And he was probably this much taller than I was and had a ponytail that came all the way down to here. He had to cut all uh, blue jeans, a denim shirt with his sleeves cut off, had tattoos up and down his arm. We talked and we went down a couple of floors and the door opened and a lady started to come in. And she stopped and looked at him and she just backed up and, and walked away. Well, the doors closed and he looked at me and said, I'll get there to walk. <laughs> but it turned out it was Ray Benson from Asleep at the Wheel. Oh, wow. And he was... <laughs> he, he was filming some movie or something, but he, he laughed, and uh, he, he said, really, he said, people look at me like that. He said, I don't dress like I do on stage, you know, but we do that, and, and I have to admit, the other night, we were eating uh, out at the diner, having catfish, and uh, there's a young man came in, was clean cut, was clean, you know, and clean cut, nice haircut and all that. He had his overalls on, and they were straps hanging down, about four feet of flat underwear were shining. And, and, and I wasn't just real thrilled, you know, about the way he was dressed. But we judge folks. We judge folks pretty quick. A new kid checks into school. Believe me, the kids size them up in a hurry and, and place them into a pocket. You know, you don't belong with us. You belong over there. And, and that's just kind of our society. Let me ask you something. Does the world judge the church by the appearance of Christians? And I'm not talking about just the way we dress or anything else. I'm talking about our spiritual dress. Do, do, do they recognize and judge the church based on us? And, and the answer is absolutely. If I mess up, I mess up. Other people see it and say, those folks are kind of concerned. They, they associate it. <coughs> We've had situations here where, where questions were asked, well, those people are kind of concerned. And, and that's sad. That's sad when it happens, but it's part of it. I want to go to Colossians chapter 3 tonight, and I want to really kind of study through about the first oh, 16, 17 verses because it, it, it talks about it, it, it talks about spiritual dress. And, and in fact, Paul, in his language, he uses, uh, he talks about these are things you've got to put off, and these, these are things you've got to put on. 
And he said, if you're going to look like a Christian, you've got to act like one and you have to be one. So let's go to verse 1 and let's read through the first 11 verses. It says, if then you were raised with Christ, seek those things which are above where Christ is, sitting at the right hand of God. Set your mind on things above, not on things on the earth, for you died and your life is hidden with Christ in God. When Christ, who is our life, appears, then you also will appear with him in glory. Therefore, put to death your members which are on the earth, fornication, uncleanness, passion, evil desire, and covetousness, which is idolatry. Because of these things, the wrath of God is coming upon the sons of disobedience in which you yourselves once walked when you lived in them. But now you yourself are to put off all these, anger, wrath, malice, blasphemy, filthy language out of your mouth. Do not lie to one another since you have put off the old man with his deeds, and you put on the new man who is renewed in knowledge according to the image of him who created him. Where there is neither Greek nor Jew, circumcised nor uncircumcised, barbarian, Scythian, slave nor free, but Christ is all and in all. You know, if you look at those first four verses, basically what he says, he, he said, look, everything you do, you have to seek the heaven. And then in verses 5 to 7, he said, you've got to put to death those things that are worldly and fleshly. In 10 and 11, he, he says, we have to strengthen that which is Christly, if that's a good word. In verses 8 and 10, this is where we start to see this putting on and putting off. And, and this is not language that's new to hear. Uh, Paul used it three other times. In Romans chapter 13, in verse 11, he says, and do this knowing the time that now it is high time to awake out of sleep, for now our salvation is nearer than when we first believed. And then in verse 14, also in Romans 13, says, But put on the Lord Jesus Christ, who make no provisions for the flesh to fulfill its lust. And over in the Galatian letter, in verse 27, he says, For as many of you as were baptized into Christ have put on Christ. So the, the, the message that Paul is carrying, and, and he, you know, he repeats it time and again, he, he says, look, you've got to take the old off and you've got to become something different. You, you've got to come up to be the new man. And that's not always easy because we are what we are. We have the baggage that we brought along with us through life that, that we have to deal with. And, and, and people look at you and they want to know, did you really change? Are you a different person than what you once were? In the rest of this short little passage that we're going to be dealing with, what Paul does, he, he kind of reiterates all the things that he did, but, but he's telling us that, okay, there, there are certain virtues that you have to have. And, and, and a virtue is just simply a, a, a behavior that, you, that holds to a higher moral standard. And uh, <coughs> these are things that all men ought to be, Christian or not. Because to me, they're common sense things about how to deal with other people. 
But Paul doesn't just stop right there. He, he doesn't just say, oh, okay, these are the virtues, now deal with it. He, he said, look, these are the things you have to do in the way you treat other people. And these are the things that you have to do to get in the right mindset to use those virtues to treat other people. And he said, this is how we've got to respond whenever we're mistreated. Somebody does something to us, and then he uses the bond that holds it all together last, and we'll talk about it there. Let's look at verse 12 through 14. It says, Therefore, as the elect of God, holy and beloved, put on tender mercies, kindness, humility, meekness, long-suffering, bearing with one another, and forgiving one another. If anyone has a complaint against another, even as Christ forgave you, so you also must do. But above all, these things put on in love, which is the bond of perfection. Now, if you kind of notice what these do, is their answer into those things. He says, take these off and put these on. You've got to put away the old, and you've got to bring in a new, kind of the antithesis of what he said before. He said, in treating others, he says, you've got to have tender mercies. I always thought that was a Robert Duvall movie, you know. But, but what it's talking about is uh, a heart of compassion. Uh, the, the Hebrew people, uh, the, and the King James, I don't know about the New American Standard, use the terminology of bowels of mercy. But the way that term is used, the bowels, it refers to the core um, the heart, more or less. And, and it just says you've got to be compassionate and you've got to have that heart that reaches out. He also says kindness. Then he, then he says you've got to be in the right state of mind. He says we have to be humble. And we've got to be meek. Now, humility uh, appears in a lot of places, you know, uh, in, a, in a lot of different settings. But that's about the genuine self. That's about realizing how small we are. Now, we don't like to hear that. We don't like to hear that. But, but the truth is that individually, and, and the way things work here in the world, we're not that important. But that's so for just a minute. But collectively, we're powerful. We come together as the church united in, in a harmonic fashion. We stand strong with the message. And, and we stand strong in encouraging each other. Then we become a powerful force. And that's important to us to understand that it takes everybody. It, it, it's just like these people in life that we run into. We used to, in uh, when we were living in Kilgore, we used to go to Gladewater to buy our, our cars. And the car dealership we went to was J.O. Williams. And it's the only car dealership I've ever seen that the guy that owned the place had nothing to do with the sales. He was the service manager. You know? And the first time I went in there, I thought that was strange and kind of weird. But his philosophy was, they can sell the cars. He says, I want to make sure they're happy with the cars. And he was very serious about it, you know? Is that's not what you expect. Not what you expect. 
that they was humble. He had two sons and he turned the business over. One was a good businessman, the other one had a gambling problem, problem, and that was the time to buy a car when he had been to Las Vegas because he had to sell a car, you know. <laughs> and then when we were shopping, I'd kind of keep my ear out find when Michael went to Las Vegas, you know, and we'd go see him. Because uh, he had a habit of losing quite a bit. But we have to get our mind wrapped around what God wants us to do. And, and, and to me, it, it's so hard to think about Jesus with who he was, how humble he was. Just think. And, and how the 12 that he called to travel with him and everywhere they went, they're the ones that struggled with humility. You know, the sons of thunder. You know, we want to be on this side and this side, you know, and let the other ones find another seat. And Jesus said, that's not the way it works. That's not the way it works. And then he said, okay, these are the things that you need to, to have, the virtues to face mistreatment. And if you live in the world, you're going to get mistreated. You've got to be long-suffering, patient, and slowness in the way we respond to situations. Not I struggle with that. I'll be absolutely honest with you. That's, that's hard for me to sometimes keep it inside. But Paul says this, this, this long-suffering is important. We've got to bear with one another. That means we have to sustain each other. We've got to encourage each other. And we've got to forgive others. Why? What did he say? It's because Christ forgave us. But the final virtue, he said, is love. And, and, and if you think of love, of course, he, he's writing this as if you're adorning yourself or you're clothing yourself in Christ. And, and you think about the belts, what holds it all together. But I think of it as the glue that holds it. Because when, when if, if the love is not there, see, this, this is talking about agape love. And, and agape love is, is about goodwill and benevolence. In other words, you're aware of other people. And, and your actions are, there's some forethought goes into your actions so that, that, that you can, can, can operate among them as a Christian person. And can be recognized as a Christian person. He says, above all, he, he says, put on love, which is the bond of perfection, the glue. Um, if love's the glue, then the other things are going to last. And, and the other things are always going to be there and, and <coughs> sustain. If, if you go to 1 Corinthians 13 and look at the first three verses, Paul writes, he, he says, Though I speak with the tongues of men and of angels, but have not love, I have become sounding brass or a clanging cymbal. And though I have the gift of prophecy and understand all mysteries and all knowledge, and though I have faith so that I could remove mountains, but have not love, I am nothing. And though I bestow all my goods to feed the poor, and though I give my body to be burned, but have not love, it profits me nothing. You can do a lot of good things, 
achieved a lot of good things the wrong reasons. Now, maybe the person that you did for benefits, but that's not what the Christian does. We take care of other people. Why? Because we love them. We, we worship together because we love each other. We teach people the gospel because we love them enough that we want them to find an eternal home in heaven as well. We, we act from love. And, and that's the glue. He, he goes on and, and, and talks and uh, writes about love is humble and content and does good for the sake of good and it endures. Um, but then he describes love in this way. He says, look, this, this is what happens when you mature. Now, that's where he goes through when I was a child, I spake as a child and all of that. But he says, what? I put all of that away. Because I grew up. In verse 13, he says, And now abide faith, hope, and love, these three, but the greatest of these is love. Now, collectively, these things display the character of Christ. The, these things are, are the adornment that we should place upon ourselves. And, and it's with these, we're dressing like a Christian, and we're going to be acting Christ-like in, in the way we behave. Now, I got to thinking about the history that I've observed in my lifetime uh, of, of churches that have divided and split. And, and I think, you know, if, if the people involved had this, those congregations would still be together and united. They've gone their separate ways. I, I thought about families that have split. Because that love wasn't there. That glue that binds didn't hold and it didn't keep things where it, where it ought to be. They lost sight of the heavenly and they held on to their earthly thinking. Now look at chapter 3, verse 15. It says, And let the peace of God rule in your hearts, to which also you were called in one body, and be thankful. The rule of God's peace, that, that, that's a necessity to go through this life. Uh, we had a Sunday morning study for uh, just a while back, uh, talking about peace and what peace is. We're, we're not talking about settling all the conflicts that exist in the world. We're talking about the peace that exists between <clears throat> man and God and between God's children. You know, he even says, <clears throat> which you were called to one body. And, and that's where the peace needs to be. We are called as a church to be unified in our message, but to be unified as a people in a way of encouraging, of growing and maturing and, and, and supporting each other. In Ephesians chapter 2, verses 14 through 18, it says, For he himself is our peace, who has made one, both one, and has broken down the middle wall of separation, having abolished in his flesh the enmity, uh, <clears throat> that is, the love of commandments contained in ordinances, so as to create in himself one new man from the two, thus making peace, 
and that he might reconcile them both to God in one body through the cross, therefore putting to death the enmity. And he came and preached peace to you who were afar and to those who were near. <clears throat> through him we both have access by one spirit to the Father. In Ephesians 3, he, he speaks about the bond of peace. That ties back to that love and, and connecting. But I want you to go back to Proverbs now, Proverbs chapter 6, because I want you to understand how seriously God takes this about unity and division and contention and strife. In Proverbs chapter 6, it starts in verse 16. But this is where the proverb writer says, look, these are the things that God hates. And I want you to listen to the list very carefully. <clears throat> he said, These six things the Lord hates, yes, seven are an abomination to him. A proud look, that's the humility. A lying tongue, that's the truth-telling. Hands that shed innocent blood. A heart that devises wicked plans. Feet that are swift in running to evil. A false witness who speaks lies. And what's the last one? And one who sows discord among brothers. That's serious business. That's serious business. And, 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 and God said, look, my son came to bring it together. My son died to bring it together. And no man should break that apart. God takes it seriously when discord is alive in his church. And only a mind that is spiritual can be ruled by this peace. This is not a peace that you can get without Jesus. Look at verse 16 in Colossians 3. It says, Let the word of Christ dwell in you richly in all wisdom, teaching and admonishing one another in psalms and hymns and spiritual songs, singing with grace in your hearts to the Lord. The word is life. And it's to live within us, it's to abide within us, it's to have free reign within our lives, the way we live, the way we act. We can study, go to Bible classes, listen to the sermons, take every avenue possible to understand what the Word says. But for it to fully dwell, see that dwell means it's there. It's there. It's not leaving. It's going to, it's going to be around. For it to fully dwell, what does that mean? It says you've got to obey it. You've got to do what it says. And I know a lot of people that are very knowledgeable in Bible. They can quote things and give you scripture, chapter and verse, and tell you exactly what it says and, and go on and on. But by choice, by choice, they choose not to do anything about it. Look at James chapter 1 and verse 22. It says, be doers of the word and not hearers only, deceiving yourselves. For if anyone is a hearer of the word and not a doer, he's like a man observing his natural face in a mirror. For he observes himself, goes away, and immediately forgets what kind of man he was. But he who looks into the perfect law of liberty and, and continues in it and is not a forgetful hearer, but a doer of the word, this one will be blessed in what he does. 
And notice he uses that term, richly dwell. Richly dwell. And he says what? There should be teaching and admonishing one another in psalms, hymns, and spiritual songs, singing with grace in your hearts to the Lord. Now, I love singing that for two reasons. A lot of reasons, but two main reasons. There are some tremendous voices in here, and I love to hear the harmony as it comes out. But for some reason, I, I, I hear the song. I hear the song. And let me tell you, that just about any song in that book, that's why I want James to leave more than one song, you know. Because <laughs> every song in this book has a message. And we've got to hear. And when we're singing together, you hear it. You hear it. I know a couple of times I've had opportunity as um, to give the Devo an invitation following the singing <coughs> set the last few songs up front where you're getting all of it. Wow, it, it's amazing. It, it's literally amazing. But if you can come together with God's people and they're singing and you walk away without a certain joy in your heart, you, you've missed the message miss the message because it's there. I'm not a good singer. I will never be a good singer. But I love to sing. And, and I think that's what God wants to sing with that joyful heart and, and, and to reach out. This is a point when we share singing together that our hearts <coughs> are fully engaged in what we're doing. Not listening to somebody like me talk. It's about hearing the music and listening to it there. Now, let's look at Colossians 3 and 17. It says, And whatever you do, in word or deed, do all in the name of the Lord Jesus, giving thanks to God the Father through Him. You know what I hear when I read that? It's, it's about authority. It's about authority. It's about Christ's authority that is settled within our hearts. This means we not only accept that authority, but we respect that authority. We respect it. That's a message that I struggle with at school a lot to get the kids to understand what it means to respect. But if anyone is worthy of respect, it's Jesus Christ. When we take it to our heart and, and we look ahead to anything that we do or say, if we take a step back and say, okay, how's this going to affect people's view of Christ in the church? We're all going to be in a better place. All going to be. Do things, say things, live things in his way and only in his way. Let's go to Philippians chapter 2 for a final reading, beginning in verse 5. And it says, Let this mind be in you, which was also in Christ Jesus, who being in the form of God, did not consider it robbery to be equal to God, 
but made himself of no reputation, taking the form of a bondservant and coming in the likeness of men. And being found in appearance as a man, he humbled himself and became obedient to the point of death, even the death of the cross. Therefore God also has highly exalted him and given him the name which is above every name, and that at, that at the name of Jesus every knee shall bow and of those in heaven and of those on earth and of those under the earth, and that every tongue should confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. And what an awesome what, what, what a marvelous Savior we have. And if we have any desire in this life, that number one desire should be let's come as close to Christ as we possibly can in all that we do. It's the only one I know that's truly worthy of emulating. There's an opportunity that we have that doesn't, that's always available, and that is to get right. If, if our clothing becomes a skewed a little bit and set off to the side. We're not the person that we should be. And tonight would be a wonderful time to make amends for that. And pray together on your behalf. And maybe those that have yet become a member of the body of Christ that have not submitted themselves, made a good confession and been baptized, the water's always ready. And there may just be a need that you have that you're hitting particularly tough times and you just need to have some people love on you. <clears throat> Tonight would be a great time to do that. Whatever your need, would you come to the front together? We stand. Yeah. 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 Yeah.